Good morning. Good morning. Nope. Some of you will appreciate this, but today at sundown begins on the Jewish calendar, the first of Tishri, which is the seventh month, and uh, which is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means head, ha, the, shana, year. So head of the year is the civil, the civic new year, even though uh, the Bible talks about when Passover began, that was to be the first, uh, Abiyah Benesan, Nisan, was the first month um, for the Hebrews, but the civic new year started in the seventh month, first of Tishri, and this begins the uh, fall feast. The fall feast begins with Rosh Hashanah, which is Yom Truah, or the, the, the day of trumpets, Yom's day, trumpets, Truah, or proclaiming, day of proclaiming, and Usually in the synagogue, they'll just, I almost brought my shofar, and, <laughs> but, but um, anyway, um, it's, um, Mike and I are both bloated. I'm, I'm not great. I don't do, you know, it's, but um, they, they blow the trumpet several times, and they also do a, what's called a textlik um, ceremony, where they go down to a running body of water, and they cast bread, it's symbolic of casting their sins away. Now, understand, since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they, didn't, they don't have a way to deal with their sins. And it's interesting because Jesus died around 30, 33 AD, and the temple was destroyed because of God's wrath. And the interesting, they, they really have no way to deal with their sins, so that's a conundrum for them. But Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah for the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His name was Yeshua. And, and he wasn't called Jesus. But so, so Yeshua was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He lived that way. And he celebrated the feast. He didn't celebrate Easter. He celebrated Pesach or Passover. So it's, it's, uh, and I'm not saying that we have to because all these feasts were fulfilled in Christ. Now, we're not here to preach about the feast. But in, in the seventh month, Yom Teruah begins the feast. So 10 days from now is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Covering, the Day of Atonement. And that is the one day that the high priest was supposedly going into the Holy of Holies to offer blood for the sins done in ignorance. There are no sacrifices for willful sins, sins of a high hand, they call it. And ten, five days after that, <coughs> five days after that was... Um, Feast of Booths, um, Sukkot, Sukkot, okay, Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. So all of these things, it's interesting that it starts with trumpets, then it, 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 in the middle of it, they dealt with their sins, and then five days later, they celebrated. It was an eight-day celebration where they actually celebrated. It was a beautiful thing. But during those 10 days, were called the days of awe, where they were to deal with their sins, the days of repentance, because they thought that all the sins would be accounted for on the Day of, of, of Atonement. So just wanted to let you know that. Today at sundown, that begins. Um, it's a part of the, the, the calendar or something that Jesus followed by. Uh, so I just thought I'd bring it to the right light. Now, I'm not talking about that today, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let me see here. <laughs> Father God, we thank you, Father, for your loving kindness, your goodness, God. You are a loving God. God, you are God who created all things. You are our creator. Father God, we owe our existence to you. The existence of everything there is. And God, we thank you that you were there when all things were made. And they were made by your power and by your will. 
you brought them into existence. And God, you brought us into existence because you wanted to. Not because you needed anything, but because you wanted to. Now, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you reveal your word to your people today. God, open up their hearts. And Father, help them to see your word as truth, because that's what it is. God, use this imperfect man to speak your perfect word. And we'll be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, pastor asked me to deal with uh, this Genesis 1 from an apologetic standpoint. So, talk a little bit about science today. Um, I'm not a great scientist, but there are some things to understand from the scripture here. So, when God said in the beginning, he created all things, he created the heavens and the earth, not everybody agrees with that. I know in the world in which we live, we, you know, for us, we take it for granted, but not everybody agrees with that. Some people believe that there is no God. They believe that all this stuff came about by random chance from some type of natural cause. So, there's a question that we have to deal with. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? It matters because there's a facts-value divide in our society. It matters because there's a fact-values divide in our, 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 um, our life. So there's two books here you have to realize. There's nature, the created things, or the things that are, the material world, and there's scripture. I remember I was in one of my archaeology classes in seminary, and my archaeology professor, he put the Bible down, and then he put an artifact that he had gotten on the dig down. And he said, what are they saying to one another? And um, I said, we're like, what do you mean? What are they saying to one another? What are they saying? They're saying nothing. So it is the job of people to build the gap in between the two. They say nothing. So we have to realize God created nature and God created scripture. There is no inconsistency in God. So if he created both of them, and both of them are by his will, and this is the word of God, there is, no, there is no disconnect between the two. They both should say the same thing. Now, the Bible is not a science book, but everything it says in reference to science is correct. So it's not going to go into detail about every little thing. Now, from nature and scripture, there's human interpretation that leads to the philosophy of science and leads to theology. Theology is how we think and how we talk about God. So human interpretation, sometimes we may interpret these things wrongly and there could be conflict. But if we interpret these things properly, they will be in union because God created both of them. Now, the facts, values of divide in, in her book, Total Truth, she did a great job, Nancy Piercy, dealing with that. We have to understand what that means is that most people hold to religion as a privatized part of their life. They don't really talk about it with other people a whole lot. You know, some people, well, I don't talk about religion and politics. You know, that's all I talk about. So, but, but, talk about both of them. But the, the, the thing is, uh, some people, they don't want to talk about these things. They keep it privatized and they compartmentalize it. It's not a part that totally rules their life. If you are a Christian, there should be no facts value to solve. So a lot of people, they hold to Christianity, although they don't believe it's true. Some preachers are afraid to really dig down 
because they're afraid they may find out something that will discredit the Bible. You know what? If this is discredited, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it. I believe this because I believe it's true. Everything that I have studied leads, leads me to believe it is true. And it is the only consistent worldview. So that's what we have to realize, that that's where it's at. Francis Schaeffer said Christianity is not merely religious truth, it is total truth. So if the Bible is not true in what it affirms, why stake your eternal destiny on it? Why do we come here every Sunday morning? Why do we worship a God who's not real? He is real, and he's alive. So for something to be true, next slide, <laughs> it must be eternally consistent, no contradictions. It has to be internally and externally consistent with, and consistent with what's real about reality. Now, the reason why this matters is this. 60% of Americans believe in what's called macroevolution. Now, let me explain that. Some people say, well, you don't believe in evolution? Yes, I believe in evolution. Microevolution. Microevolution is variation within a species. You have different types of cats. You have lions, you have tigers, you know? You have different types of dogs, different breeds, different species. You have a wolf, you have different types. You have different types of apes and monkeys, you know? And you know what? You have different types of humans. But they all stayed within their kind. Now, this is one thing about Darwin. When Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of the Species, he said that the fossil record would later prove what he said. No, it doesn't. We have billions of fossils today. There are no transitionary kinds. We have what's called the Cambrian Explosion, where all these little things came in all together. And all you have are apes, you have humans, you have cats, you have dogs, but you don't have any transit. Now, out of all that, we should have plenty of those, but we don't have any. Now, we don't have time to go into detail about all of that, but just realize the fossil record backs up special creation. So, next slide. So, that's the thing. So many people, and I think I went ahead of myself, but so many people believe, like when you have 60% of people actually believing in macroevolution, and even within evangelicals, 27% and 44%, 27% of white Protestants, 27% 20, uh, of black Protestants believing in macroevolution. There's something wrong here. Okay? How can you believe in that and say when the Bible says God created? It's, 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 it's kind of ridiculous to believe that. All right, let's move on. So how do we know if something's true? There, there must be no contradictions. There must be internal and external consistency. And it must be, agree with what we know about reality. Now, if we can find real science that contradicts what the Bible teaches, it's wrong. Because the Bible is going to be in accord with what we know is true, right? I am a black male, right? Or a half black male, well, however you want to do it. But, but you can laugh, it's okay. But, but, but the thing is, some people, it's, it's like, I, I, maybe I shouldn't, but, but some people, they, they feel that, that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a female. Although I have male parts, you have to realize that when I was young, I thought I was Superman. And I'm not making fun of anything, but when I grow up and I say that I'm the President of the United States or I'm Napoleon or I'm Jesus Christ, people will say that you're crazy. 
So, but we're playing into these things now. It's, it's not what accords with reality. So we have to realize the whole thing about reality is reality. Listen, listen, and, and trust me, God's going to judge every person according to the choices he or she makes. But however you live your life is your business. I believe you should have the freedom to do that. This is a free country. But once again, we're going to be judged by God. We're going to be, all these things are going to be taken into to, to, to consideration by him. But the thing is, when we start doing that kind of stuff, we start going into areas where it just doesn't make any sense. I don't want my daughter using the bathroom in a bathroom with a grown man. I'm sorry. Okay, let's, let's go on. Now, worldviews, worldviews. So Christianity is the only true and consistent worldview because it's the only one that shows both internal and external consistency and agrees with what is known to be true about reality. And it, agree, it is in agreement with true science. I believe that in my heart. I believe that. Okay, that's why I got my degree, an apologetic degree. I believe that. Okay? All right, so there's five broad worldviews. And basically, you can look at it down to just three in saying that the material world is all there is. And then some people say God is all there is. The people who are like, you know, Hindus and, and Buddhists. They believe in, in, in what's called monism. They believe in one reality, and they believe that God, pantheism, they believe that God is everything. And, and, and so, so God is all there is. We're all a part of God. We have to just look at our consciousness. And we, Anyway, let's move on. And then there's the ones who hold the worldview that both God and a material world exist. But we're going to deal with these five. Materialism is the first one, and this is the foundation of Darwinian evolution. What I mean by Darwinian evolution, I'm talking about macroevolution, how this kind changed into this kind, and that humans and apes, we have a common ancestor, that type of deal. So in their minds, there's no transcendent creator, but all things, the whole universe originated and evolved from natural occurrences due to chance over long periods of time. They believe that the long periods of time causes these things to take place. But once again, chance is not a cause. Nothing happens by chance. If somebody flips a penny a hundred times, chances are 50 times it'll land on heads and 50 times it'll land on tails. However, if we were doing a scientific experience and we actually made constants and we made something that flipped the coin, and we put the coin on there exactly in the right place, every single time, the exact same way, in a controlled environment, it will fall on either heads or tails every single time. So scientists know there is no such thing as chance. So why say that the universe is created by chance? Universe can't create anything. I mean, chance can't create anything, okay? So, there's internal consistencies with a materialistic worldview, and that's mainly what we're talking about today. That's why I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. The internal, cons internal consistencies violate scientific principles. When science, what we call science, violates science, something's wrong, right? That's called an internal inconsistency. So in talking about that, um, when you talk about first cause, there has to be a first cause to everything. Aristotle, we talked about his unmoved mover, in um, book 12 of his Metaphysics, he basically stated that which moves without being moved is the uncaused cause. That there must be an immortal, unchanging being ultimately responsible for all wholeness and orderliness in the sensible world. 
There must be a first cause of everything. Let me give you this. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Now try to visualize nothing. All right, open them. What did you come up with? Huh? Black. Well, that's something. What, what else? Black space. That's something. There is no nothing. Parmenides, the, the, the philosopher, he came, that was one of his main things. There is no nothing. Nothing doesn't exist. Nothing can't create anything. Do you get that? If there's nothing, there's what? Nothing. In the beginning, what was there? There was God. Okay? <laughs> He's something, but there is no nothing. So in order for them to be something now, there must always have been a something. Yes. You got it? So in order for it to be something now, there's always was. So that's Aristotle's first cause. Secondly, there's Newton's first law. Basically, things at rest tend to stay at rest until they're acted upon by an outside agent, right? So this podium right here, if, if it didn't corrode, and if it sat there, it would stay here for years and years and years and years until somebody moved it, right? It's being moved. Uh, it's being moved. Moved, right? Okay. So it's being acted upon. So when you talk about the universe, even with the Big Bang, when you talk about that the universe existed in a point, a singular dot, and it was really hot, and it started agitating, and it exploded and everything. What caused that? After all the years of eternity passed, what caused this dot to explode? And where did the dot come from? So once again, it violates Newton's first law. Thirdly, the second law of thermodynamics. Thermodynamics, talking about heat. But basically, to make, in the layman's understanding, everything is going towards a random. Guess what? I'm getting older. Every time I look in the mirror, I look at myself and guess what? I'm getting older. Things are starting to break, break, break down. I've run three miles a day. You know what? It didn't feel like this 10 years ago. And it certainly didn't feel like this 20 years ago. But I still do it. But it hurts. Okay? So things are running down. We do know the universe is running down. The universe, they, you can look in the Hubble telescope and look back and you can actually see the red shifts to the universe to know that it's actually expanding, right? Einstein basically went against this. He figured it out mathematically and he rejected it until he looked at Edwin Hubble's um, telescope and he saw the red shifts that it was all coming from a point of singularity. It's kind of like a balloon blowing up. The, the universe is expanding. We know that for a fact. So we know it had a beginning. We know that it's running down and we know that one day it's going to run out. So it can't be eternal. So where did the matter come from in the beginning? Once again, science, what we call science, violates that principle. Okay, let me move on from that. That, I wanted you to see that, and that's why I'm, I spent a little bit of time on that. So, okay. Animism, animism. Basically, that's giving uh, souls to things, rocks, um, thunderstorms, that type of stuff. Sometimes we get polytheism from that and ancestor worship. A lot of times go into to animism. Many people in the ancient tribes, they actually worship according to animism. That's the type of polytheism. There's pantheism, Hinduism, and Buddhism, which are the, the basis for, take for instance, New Age beliefs, uh, pagans, the neo-pagans, the Wicca, uh, where they believe in, in, in Hinduism, 
in what's called the Brahmin. Now take for instance in Hinduism, they have 330 million gods. But the Brahmin is the thing that's behind everything. It is the creator of all things. And all things are a part of the Brahmin. So when, when you die, you, you, you go into nirvana, you, you're just, I mean, basically reincarnation is suffering over and over again. I want to get into all that because I can, I'm, I'm once again getting in the weeds. But, it, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's a very confusing thing to where people, they want to become a part of this new age stuff and they have no individuality. You will be individuals in God's sight forever, whether you're in heaven or whether in hell. That's the truth. So let's move on. Let's move on. Then there's deism. Deism. Deism came in the Enlightenment where people started finding science. So they believe that God created the universe and just totally backed up, run by scientific principles. As a lot of people believe Thomas Jefferson was the deist and he made the Jefferson Bible. Actually, the name of it was the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, where he just cut and paste all of the um, miracles and stuff out of the Bible. He just cut it out. And that's basically what he did. And um, there's something called practical deism which is interesting. Uh, sociologists uh, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton in their book Soul Searching characterized the religion of most American teenagers at the time as a moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, they keep their religion in a certain place. Now, teenagers are religious. They're not backing off from religion. It's just that they have their life over here and they have their religion over here. And in their religion, it's moralistic to a certain extent. There are certain things they won't do because of religion, even though they get involved with a whole lot of other things. Um, but they, they, they have a moralistic, but it's therapeutic because God is there to make their lives happy, to make it wonderful. Why does God exist but to make me happy? What do you mean? And then the deism is that they push him off until they need him. God, you stay right there. Stay out of my business. Don't tell me how to dress. Don't tell me how to talk. Don't tell me how to act. Don't tell me how, not to say curse words. Don't tell me any of that. You know, I've heard people just, I remember I'm, when I first got, quote, unquote, saved, uh, back, back when I was in high school, I, I, I was going to a, a church of God in Christ, a Pentecostal church, and this woman, I saw this lady speaking in tongues and falling all over the place, one girl, showed up in, in, in school the next week, and she was cussing somebody out. Now, I, I, I didn't understand because I wasn't raised in church at all. And um, so I said, hey, don't you go to my church? She said, yeah, but I don't mean I'm blanking and blank saved. And it's like, are you serious? I couldn't understand that. You know, but that's how people are. In, in their minds, they'll sit there and they'll, oh, yes, I love God. I got this. And then they're just doing all You know, you hardly can get any Christians to date today without sleeping together first before they get married. Bible tells us that you are not to fornicate, right? You're not, to, you're not supposed to do that. But just about everybody they're dating, they, it seems like the natural thing to do is just have sex. There's some people move in together, and they still say they're Christians. Okay, we're not talking about that today. Let's move on. So religion is important to these people in the religious sector, but not in other areas. They compartmentalize their faith. So they, they, their, their faith is something that works for them. All right, lastly, there's monotheism, which is Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and henotheism. Henotheism is basically the worship of one God above others, although you believe in the existence of others. Some of the Jews at certain times, they had a henotheistic religion. And, and, and many of the people in the Bible, they may have worshipped Baal in certain forms, but they believed in other things or, or Egypt or whatever. They have that henotheism going. 
But this is the belief that a transcendent God created all things, sustains his creation, and revealed himself in history, and to whom all must give account. This is one of the things that our young people today, and even many adults who hold on to that moralistic therapeutic deism, they don't believe in a God who will judge us, who's going to hold us accountable. And God will hold us accountable. Okay, he created us, and one day we're all going to have to stand before him to be judged for what we do in our bodies. So even parts of monotheism, that doesn't mean that everything is good in monotheism because Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and you have other things that call themselves Christians like the Mormons. Now, of course, they're polytheists because they believe that their God, Elohim, was once a man who attained godhood and humans can attain godhood men. Of course, women, <laughs> you can be one of his celestial wives, if he chooses to resurrect you, first of all. And of course, he can have other celestial wives, and you can propagate your own family if he chooses to resurrect you. So, better be good to your husbands. <laughs> Man, I choose to resurrect you, right? For a while, black people couldn't become gods. In, 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 uh, but anyway, but getting back to this, um, maybe I could be half a god, because I was... <laughs> but Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Although they, they hold to the Bible, understand something about Jehovah's Witnesses. They created their own translation, New World Translation of the Holy Spirit Scriptures. The, the Greek in it is terrible. If you can translate Greek, let me tell you something. I can show you in five minutes that that is a false, a, a, a faulty translation. It is a faulty translation. Okay? I can show you that in five minutes. Okay, what time is it? I just get out of But I'm telling you, it's totally wrong. And in their minds, Jesus Christ is a created person. It's, it's the recreation of Arianism, which was condemned by the church in 325, the Council of Nicaea. And uh, it's, a it's not anything new. But they have a different Jesus, and they have a different way to get the salvation. The Bible says in, in Galatians chapter 1, if we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel than that which preached, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel, and that is salvation by grace. Grace is a gift. It is something that God has done for you. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He died on the cross, and then it's through faith. That's how we actually hold to the grace of God. But faith is brought about by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is working in you at that time, then you can choose or reject. I believe. Some people don't think that some people believe God's grace is irresistible. I don't believe, I don't believe the Scripture teaches that. But at that time, you can choose or reject. But you cannot come to God unless the Father first draws you. So he wakes you up, and you can choose at that point. And when you're saved, the Spirit of God comes in, 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 in your heart, and you're attached to the vine. And you will bear fruit. So if there is a salvation, there will be a change in your life. We don't have time to deal with that. Okay. So five broad worldviews, principles. Basically, you can bring it down to three. And uh, from there, we're going to start talking about the text just a little bit. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Bereshit is in the beginning. Uh, Barah, I create, basically. It is in the cow perfect verb skin. And, and the, uh, the perfect, now understand, Hebrew doesn't have tenses like we have you know, past, present, future, they have what's called perfect and imperfect. 
They have perfect means that is completed action. Imperfect means incomplete action. Now, usually the imperfect is in the future, usually. Usually, the perfect is in the past, but it's not always that way. You have to look at the context. You have to understand. So when God said, in the beginning, God created, just means it's perfect. It's, it's something that's completed action, okay? And, and it's speaking of ex nihilo, when he, when he talks about that, Nakal perfect, so ex nihilo is just a Latin word meaning out of nothing. Now, that doesn't necessarily, remember, I just told you nothing is nothing, right? God didn't create out of himself, or we would have what's called pantheism, all pantheos, God where everything belongs to God. That's what the Hindus believe. That's what the Buddhists believe. And that's what some of these um, New Age people believe. That, you know, you're God. All you have to do is wake in your inner consciousness. No, no, you're not God. You're not God. And I'm glad. Because if I was God, this world, boom, would be gone. It's like, mm, I'm angry. Boom, kick, it's gone. So, no. So, but we serve a good God. It was all wise, right? Okay. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what is taught here in the scriptures is in accordance with Aristotle's first law, with, with first cause, Newton's first law, and the second law of thermodynamics. All these things ex are explained from there. So when God created, would people believe that the creation of the universe was by the Big Bang Theory, right? You've heard of the Big Bang Theory? Now, there's some proof to the Big Bang Theory. There is. That's why we can look at a telescope and we can understand the universe is expanding from a singular point. All right? But that doesn't mean that things exploded. I like to see stuff blow up. Most men do. You know? <laughs> when we watch television, we want to see something blow up, right? I remember when, when I, was, uh, I was a lieutenant, uh, my friend left SWAT as lieutenant. And he, was, he put on a class for all of us to go, and I, I considered becoming a SWAT commander. And, um, but I didn't want to because, you know, you're calling out all the time. Like, in the middle of preaching right now, call goes, I got to go, right? So, so I chose not to, but one of the things that almost got me is I got to blow something up. I mean, that was great. I put, blew up a door, and I said, oh, man, I love this. So we like, but what happens when you blow up stuff? It causes disorder, not order. Right? It causes disorder, not order. God created, he caused order. Do you know in our solar system there's two planets that's actually spinning the other direction? If, if, if you're on a, a merry-go-round and people spin off, they're all going to spin off at the same way. They're all going to turn the same way. Why are those two planets turning, spinning differently? To testify of God, there's no logical explanation. Because if everything spinned out, they should be spinning the same way, okay? All right. Also, scientists know that the universe is fine-tuned for life on Earth. There are about three dozen just-right parameters. Um, what's his name? Stephen Meyer. He has this little thing where he has this uh, picture of a universe-creating machine where he has knobs on it. And all of these knobs have to be tuned something like 10 to the 34th power or 10 to the 37th power. That's that's one with like 37 zeros behind it. I mean, that's how fine-tuned some of this stuff has to be. So the expansion rate of the universe is one of those things. Initial entropy, the cosmological constant, constant gravitational constant. If, if gravity was any higher or any lower, it wouldn't sub, uh, uh, support life on Earth. If the universe was expanding at any faster rate or slower rate, it would not 
we would not be able to live on this planet. If we were any closer to the sun or farther away, we would burn to death or freeze to death. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and, and, and Neptune, <laughs> all of them are huge planets. They actually pull a lot of these comets and stuff to it that will protect the Earth, the universe, not just our solar system. The universe was fine-tuned. Scientists know this. And for anybody to see this and not believe in a God, they're starting with a different presupposition. It doesn't matter how brilliant they are. Stephen Hawking is, I mean, he's dead now, but I mean, he's a brilliant man. Richard Dawkins, I'm not saying anything about his brilliance, much more brilliant than I am, but they're starting with bad presupposition. And that's the problem with it. Next, uh, Sir Frederick Hoyle, an English astronomer who thought the Big Bang Theory and creationism to be pseudoscience until he became convinced of the fine-tuning universe, wrote this in his book, The Universe Past, Present, Inflections. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. In other words, he believed that there was a God. Same thing happened to Anthony Flew, who did not necessarily become a Christian, but he became basically a believer as a theist in that sense. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the uh, face of the waters. Uh, tohu va bohu is just va, is, is the, the Hebrew and. It's just the, um, so that's the va. It's connected to uh, bohu there as far as in Hebrew, but tohu ba bohu, uh, they don't speak of the destruction of a former world. A lot of people believe that in between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis, uh, 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 me, I got two verse 2, that's one verse 2 up there. You see the, got one verse 2 at the top and two verse 2 at the bottom? I make all types of typos, so you may find others there. But anyway, in between 1, 2, and 1, 3, they believe there's a gap of, of, of millions of years to back up um, what they believe about evolution. But there's, there's nothing in the Bible that actually teaches that. Without form and void, when Isaiah chapter 34 verse 11 and Jeremiah 4 verse 23 talked about destruction, and they used this term tohu vabohu, basically they were saying that the destruction was so complete that it brought it back to the original sense of creation. What God meant by that is that, take for instance like a potter, you take a lump of clay and it is without form and void. It is basically waste and empty. And he has to mold it into a habitable place. And that's what he's talking about here. Tohu is used in Isaiah 45, verse 18, is desolate. And Bohu is always void or empty. So it just means that God was about to move it into something else. Okay, next point. In verses 1-5, 1-8, 1-13, 1-19, 1-23, this phrase is repeated, and the evening and the morning, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day. It goes on and talks about the days there. So the word for day, yom, ha, they ha, it has a wide variety of meaning in the scriptures. It can mean the daylight portion of the day or an ordinary day or longer period like a day or the day of Yahweh. It was yom Adonai. But the, the thing is, it doesn't have to mean that. Context is the best way that we know what's being said. Like take, for instance, all I can think of, my example, I'm sorry. That's bad, you know. 
when you're talking about something that's good or uh, that's lit. Give me, give, me, give, me, give me something that these young people say that's opposite. What's, what's up? That's sick. They mean, you know, they really mean it's nice, you know. So they use opposite. So you look at the context of what's being said there, and you understand what's, what's, what's going on. So there's no need for this thing, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, second day, third day, unless they're literal days that God created. Now, God doesn't need six days to create the heavens and the earth. He's God. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. He doesn't even need us. But I'm just saying that he doesn't need that. He could have created in one day. Why did he create in six days? I believe that he was trying to show us order. We have a day. We have six days to do our work, and the seventh day he gave us Shabbat or a day of rest. So that's the thing, time. My wife is saying time. Okay. Thank you, dear. So, okay. So the days of creation certainly don't represent a day age theory because plants were created on day three while the sun and the moon was made on day four. So if there's an age between day three and day four, we have issues, right? I believe they're literal days. Now, there are problems in some of this, but I think the problems are more on the side of the longer of people than the shorter of people. So that's, but I'll admit that there are problems on both sides. All right, next point. The creation of living things beginning with plants on day three, verses 11 through 12. Fish and sea, sea creatures, or fish and fowl, that's how you remember it. Sea creatures and fowl on day four, um, 20 through 21 verses. And land animals on day six, 24 to 25, were all made according to their kinds. Now understand something about the term species. I know the, the um, Tree of Life version used in the beginning species, but I, 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 I don't like that translation because new species have been created. So when, when Noah brought all the animals on the ark, you had two cats, two dogs. You didn't have a wolf, a German shepherd, a, you see what I'm saying? So there's, so there's different types of species, like you got a lion who's a cat, and a tiger who's a cat, and a Siamese cat who's a cat. But they're all cats, right? So you got, you got kinds that God created, and then you have species. Thank you. Thank you. Now, some of these species you can actually mate, and um, they can come out with something like a lion and tiger will make a liger, or a horse and a donkey can, I mean, a horse and a mule, a horse and a donkey can make a mule, but those, that mule and that liger are, they, they can't have children. So basically, species are groups where people can, can, can mate and have children. You can't mate with a monkey and have a half monkey, half human. They're saying that? I'm sure, I'm sure perverted people have tried. <clears throat> but you can't do that. So the, the, the whole thing is God made everything according to his kinds. And once again, according to the fossil record, everything is there according to his kind. There are no transitional forms. All right, let's move on to the next one. Humans. We're set apart from all living things, being made in the image of God. Verse 26 through 28, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creeping things that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 28, and he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now understand this. Now this is something I'm just going to hit just for a second. In Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent is talking to Eve, what's happening there? First of all, a serpent, a lower creation, is telling them something contradicting God. When God made them, gave them dominion over living creatures. Think about that for a second. And not only did the serpent contradict God's creative order, but he went to the woman. Notice that God always deals with the man first because the man is the head. Not that he's any better than the woman. No, we're, we're both created in the image of God. We're both human. But there's a created order where God spoke, but he went to Eve, and Adam was right there with her. So the devil does not think highly of humans, and he totally went against the created order in order to do these things. But God gave us dominion over these things. He gave us radah. It's a royal type of dominion over the animals. That's why we should treat animals kindly. The Bible says a righteous man regards the life of, of, the, of his beast, but the tender mercy of the wicked are cruel. So God expects us to take care of this created earth that he gave us, that he put us in dominion to subdue, to make culture, to, 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 to make earth and to make music and all these things under his authority. But he went over that to do that. But anyway, let's go on. So humans are so far above the animals in moral intellect and creative abilities. The gaps between humans and animals, the prefrontal lobe right here, with, with the development of language, culture, art, altruism, cannot be counted for in evolution. Monkeys are nowhere close to humans in the development of their minds and our culture. You'll see monkeys doing art. You'll see them showing altruism. You don't see them doing that. We are totally different. That's why we're not the biggest, we're not the strongest. So just in thinking that some people think that just being bigger and stronger makes men superior to women, you know what that means? Elephants are superior to men. It makes no sense. It's the ability to think God put everything according to its kind. So humans are far above all these and this. Not only that, DNA, DNA. I don't have time to really get into that. But DNA is like an instruction book that creates everything within you. Everything living has DNA. Every cell has DNA. A cell is so intricate, it's like a small factory, like a city. All the things, God, this, is, I'm telling you, it's fascinating. <laughs> Both of you are like, why is he so excited about a cell? But I mean, when you look at it, it's fascinating what God had made. So when, when Darwin said these single cell organisms are like simple, there's nothing simple about a single cell organism. And DNA, nothing simple about DNA. Okay, now I'm not, you know, one scientist said that all the data in the world can fit in a DNA hard drive the size of a teaspoon. That's how much information DNA has. I mean, it's crazy. You know, and they actually fit. They did the 70 billion copies of their genetics book, including the formatting instructions and in, uh, uh, images totaling 700 terabytes of data in just one gram of of, of DNA. The Institution of Creation Research documented that. So it's crazy. I like what Bill Gates said. DMA, DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software 
ever created. So to think that a single cell is simple is not just naive, but uninformed. It's crazy. Okay, next, next one. I'm sorry, go back to the other one. No, the other, that's right, that's right. Summing up Genesis, okay? We're going to skip this for right now. Go ahead to the next one. Now, quotes by uh, uh, professed atheist Richard Dawkins. Now, Richard Dawkins is one of the most, I mean, he, he talks about God as being angry and terrible and tyrannical and all these things. And I like what, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, I got a brain fart right now. Can I say that from the pulpit? Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias said, why does he get so angry about the tooth fairy? If you don't think he's real, why is this taking up so much of his time? He doesn't even know that he's being influenced by the demonic. Okay. So Dawkins attacks God and the God of the Bible. He says, faith is a great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. He says, faith is belief in spite of or even uh, because of a lack of evidence. But he turned around and said, now get this, get the contradiction here on the second one. He explained biology. Biology is a study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. So he says that we have no proof, but then he says it gives the appearance of being designed. Right? Does anybody not see that's a contradiction? So on his third, what's the real issue? He loves his freedom. He loves his sin. People don't like people telling them what to do. If you got teenagers and you tell them what to do, they get mad. Why? Because nobody likes being told what to do, especially if they're a young man. Well, I'm a man. You can't tell me what to do. You know what? You're a kid. Get over it, right? So he said, although atheism might be logically tenable before Darwin, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. I don't know how. Because Darwin's stuff is just not there. Okay. Next, next one. All right. How should truth of creation affect every human? Realize this. If God is the creator, he is the judge, then he will hold every human accountable. The Bible begins with God as creator and ends with God as the one who restored all things through Jesus Christ's completed work with everlasting life for the believing people and eternal damnation for the unbelieving. Now, this is interesting. R.C. Sproul got up in front of a group of atheists, and he said, because of this passage of Scripture right here, he said, you all believe. You know that there's a God. You're lying to yourselves. Of course, they went. But God says that God has shown it to them. Let's read this real quick. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the euangelion, the good news about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, because it is the power of God. It's the gospel that not only just gives grace because he forgives, but it also gives the power. That's the spirit of God that comes and gives you the power to do. That's dunamis there, not exousia, which is, so he says he gives you the power, uh, it's the power of God for salvation to bring about that wholeness. Soteria is more in line with shalom. It brings total shalom, brings total peace, the Hebrew concept of shalom. So it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, believing right there 
is a participle. It is a present active participle. What that means is that it is to those who are continually believing. You're in a state of believing. It's not a once belief thing. That would be aorist tense. But in the Greek, when you have the present tense, it is a state of believing. So the power of God is to a state of believing. So you had one short thing of belief where you came up and you said, God, forgive my sins. If it's not real in the heart, there's going to be no change. But if there's a change in the heart, God worked that change. God is the author of your salvation. God is the author of everything. that. But there will be a change. Jesus argued it in, in, in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anybody who abides in me, metal, abide, remaining, will bear fruit. So you're going to bear fruit. He's not talking about winning souls there. He's talking about the fruit of Christianity. So every Christian will have fruit. Some people have watermelon fruit. Some people have blueberry fruit. But everybody will have fruit. If you don't have fruit, you're not a Christian because God hasn't worked that in you. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, because there's too much easy believing today. People are getting, you know, convinced of their salvation. They're living together and they're saying they're saved. They treat people like dirt. When John says, hey, look, anybody who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. And they say they're saved. They live in all types of sin. And John chapter 3 verse 9 says, hey, you know, if you're, if you're saved, you're born again. His seed remains in you, all right? And you're not going to live in sin. John, John, John chapter 3 is very clear in that. Whoever does evil is evil and is of the devil. He's clear. So that doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. We all make mistakes, but we still live in that covenant relationship. Listen, I've been married for 32 years. My wife and I, we've had a lot of mistakes. We had a lot of ups and downs. But we have that covenant relationship. We love one another as much today as we did when we got married because we have that covenant relationship. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but we still live in the bounds of that covenant relationship. And that's what Christianity is. It's called chesed in the Hebrew. It's a steadfast covenant relationship. When the Bible says, what does the Lord your God require of you? In Micah chapter 5 verse 8. Live justice, justly, mispat. To love mercy, to love chesed, to bring it and to walk humbly before your God. All that is still true today. Let's move on. I'll be finished by 12. So the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who is believing. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, in what? The gospel the righteousness of faith is revealed. God's righteousness. God gives you his righteousness. Now that righteousness is also justice. We think about righteousness, we think about personal righteousness. But these are Oriental people. You're talking about Hebrews here. They have more of a concept, a body concept. You can't just say you're personally right and forget everybody else. No, Christianity is a Christianity of koinonia of fellowship, of sharing, of communion, okay? So the righteousness of God is revealed, but it's God's righteousness. He gives it to you. It's not something you can earn for yourself. In the gospel, in this good news about Christ, his righteousness is revealed. And in his righteousness, he makes you righteous. 
from faith to faith. Now, from faith to faith, it's interesting. The, the prepositions there, from ek to ace, which ace can be for faith, but from usually ek is usually out of. So it's out of faith and it's into a life of faith. That's what the Christian life is about. It comes out of a faith that continues into a life of faith. From faith to faith, and it's written, the righteous one will live by faith. If you're righteous, you will live by God's amuna. That's Hebrews chapter, I'm mean, excuse me, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, this quote comes from, where he says, the righteous man shall live by amuna, by his faithfulness. So faith is not just a head belief. Once again, that's why James, Jacob, is actually James. Uh, even in the Greek, you can look at it as Jacob. It's Jacob rather than James. But that's what the brother of, of Christ, James, said, that you say you have faith, and I say I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because he said, hey, if, if, if you have faith and don't have works, can that type of faith save you? A Jew never would have thought that in their mind. There is no such thing as faith without works. You're not saved by works, but everybody who's saved will produce works. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship, created for good works. God's spirit was in you. He lives through you. You will do good works. You will have fruit. A lot of people are confused on that. You know, they're confused, but there's no confusion there. We're confused by theologians who says, or non-theologians, Joseph Prince, <laughs> people like that who say that he's recovered, you know, the true faith of Paul, and that he, he's recovered a heresy. That's what he's recovered. It's not true faith of Paul. No. Okay, we're not talking about that today. Let's move on. What verse was I on, huh? Anybody paying attention? Anybody paying attention? Okay. Wife's saying, wrap it up. Wrap it up, husband. Wrap it up. So it's from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, for the wrath of God, okay, that was the introduction. It's important to understand that, to understand that God has done it for you, and God's revealed certain things to you, okay? And God is willing to do things for you. But the Bible says in verse 18, God's wrath is orge, okay? Now, this is separate. God's wrath is separate from his anger. Wrath is something that is the orge is something that's building over time, okay? Thumas is anger that's executed. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, because of your hard, impotent heart, you're storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So wrath is something that's being stored up right now. So God's wrath is being stored up. It's basically being revealed from heaven. Now, he reveals his wrath. He's showing that he's going to be angry about these things, and things will be done. There are judgments that's taking place right now. Think about it. And, and I, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit this rabbit and leave. The land is, is polluted because of blood, the blood of abortion. When, when, even take, for instance, the black community. We kill almost 50%, 40-something percent of our children. That's why we haven't grown in population. We're like 12 point something, almost 13% of the population. We haven't grown over years. We used to be the largest minority Hispanics have passed us because they're not killing their babies. They're at like 19% of the population, even more now growing. 
But the thing is, we're killing our babies, and that's what Planned Parenthood was all about when it began, to get rid of people they thought. Okay, so, so I'm just saying, listen, we can't, nobody would say in their mind that it's okay to kill a child in your womb. Well, it's just a piece of matter. No, not anybody who believes the Bible. The scriptures and say, let's move on, okay? For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. That's, that's just, you know, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is saying the same thing because a lot of times Jews did not want to say God, so they said from heaven. They're talking about from God. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So ungodliness is personal and unrighteousness is righteousness with a ah in the Greek before. It just means injustice, okay? Injustice, unrighteousness of men. By their injustice, they suppress God's truth. In order, you know, let me tell you something. Abortion, that's killing for convenience. That's all it is, it's killing for convenience. It's convenient for me to kill a baby if this baby is going to mess up my life. So we suppress God's truth and we say and we build all these arguments to calm our conscience. They don't even want the women to be shown the, um, do I yell too much? The, 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 what do you call that thing? Ultrasound, thank you. Get on with it, right? Okay. So they suppress God's truth and the righteousness. So what they're doing basically is they're holding it down, they're holding it back, they're hindering, they're repressing God's truth by unrighteousness. Because of our sin, we make up stuff. Kind of like people who want to sleep with their girlfriend. Well, what if you do all this stuff and it's God ain't real? You know? Because of our unrighteousness, we want to suppress truth. We can just always repent later. Let me tell you something. Every time you sin, what it does is it brings you darker, deeper and deeper into darkness. It destroys not only it's sexual sin, especially outside of marriage, it destroys your ability to bond within marriage. Okay, I dealt with that in my book. So I'm not going to go into detail about it right now. So we suppress God's truth. For what may be known of God is plain to them. God says it's plain because God has shown it to them. You can look at a building and know that that didn't just take place. Somebody built it. You can look at, a, at, a, at, a, at, a, uh, at an airplane and understand that somebody put that together. But you look at a human and say that it came by random chance? We're more complex than anything out there by far. And not only that, where do you get life? Even take, for instance, if all this stuff did exist without a God, and, and they were all just random atoms or something, all right? What was the sufficient cause that caused it to happen. There's necessary cause or sufficient cause. Necessary are those things that have to be there, like all the ingredients are there. You can put all the ingredients for a cake together on the, on the, the, uh, the, the, the counter, but the sufficient charge causes to bring it and bake the cake. Somebody had to put the plane together. Somebody put you together. Somebody made life. There's the, organic stuff don't come from inorganic stuff. It's impossible. Nobody's ever seen that. That's unscientific, once again. So what may be known of God, verse 19, is plain to them because God has shown it unto them. 
the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, who God is, has been clearly perceived. Clear, the invisible has been clearly made visible ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. Now think about this for a second. You look at this and you know that there was a creator and you won't give him glory. You won't honor him because of that. God's going to hold you accountable. You make up stuff, make up theories so that you can live in your sin and live in your life. You're suppressing God's truth. God has shown it to them. These invisible attributes have been clearly seen even since the creation. They're without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, that word know there is from gnosko, which means knowledge by experience, they did not honor him. In other words, they didn't give him glory. Doxa, they didn't give him glory. To give God glory is to tell the truth. Remember when the, when the, the, the Sanhedrin told the apostles, oh no, they told the guy, and I guess in, in, in chapter 9, give God glory. That was blind. He's, he's like, hey, look, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. To give God glory is to tell the truth about God, to speak with him. So to give God glory is to glorify him. So we won't give him glory, the Bible says. We didn't honor him. We didn't give him glory as God, nor give thanks to him. But they became empty in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Because people choose to follow this way, God leads them into more darkness. As the Bible says in verse 24, 26, 28, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. It's kind of like when talking about Pharaoh, when, when he hardened his heart half the time, the other time, God hardened his heart. God will harden your heart. He will give you over to those very things that you want to do. Like C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you don't say thy will be done, at the end God will say thy will be done. And everybody who is damned to hell will go there because they chose not to give God glory. They chose to follow their own will. And don't you know, and I'm telling you, a lot of times we don't think about this, but if you are in your sin, persistent rebellion, could you imagine trying to live in the presence of God forever? That would be worse of a hell than any hell that you can ever be in. That's why God didn't want his presence to go with the Israelites because he said, you're stubborn, you're hard-hearted. A lot of times we want God's presence. If God's presence came down in the Shekinah today, some of us would die because of our hypocrisy. Be glad that God is merciful that he's backed off some. Okay? So they exchanged, they claimed themselves to be wise, but became fools, the Bible says. Back in these days, it was the philosophers, now it's the scientists. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resemble mortal mind. There's immortal versus mortal. We exchange that which has ultimate value for that that doesn't have value. We're more concerned about how we look, our clothes, how we are portrayed to other people, how people look at us rather than glorifying God. That's why Paul said, I'd rather be a fool for Christ than looked at as being wise for men. So, the Bible says God gave them up. That is the worst thing that could ever happen. It's kind of like when David sinned with Bathsheba. He didn't want to happen to him what happened to Saul. He said, God, whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. God, do not do that. Because he saw what happened to Saul when the Spirit of God left him. If God gives you up, it's a sad, sad thing. It's a sad thing. 
So God gave them to the lust of impurity, dishonoring the bodies among themselves. God gave them to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a reprobate mind, a debased mind, a mind void of judgment. And that's the world that we live in today, where we don't even know that it's wrong for a man to use a woman's bathroom or for a man who claims to be a woman but has not had a sex change but still likes women but he identifies a woman to walk buck naked and use the facilities at some colleges. That is happening today because he identifies a woman but he still likes women and he's buck naked in front of all these college girls. Now, how is that okay? How is it okay for you to call me if I say, I'm, if I say well, I'm God. I identify as God, so I want you to address me as God. How is that okay? You're going to call me crazy. Listen, once again, I'm not demeaning anybody. You have the right to do whatever you want to do. Now, understand something. For all these things, you will be brought to judgment by God. You have that right. But the thing is, and, and, and I have friends who are homosexual, you know. My daughter, she's ministering to a guy at ballet who's a homosexual. I mean, they're people, and they deserve dignity and respect. But I can't call a he a she. You know? I'm, I'm sorry. That's just, I, 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 you know, when kids want to be Superman, that's one thing. But when a grown man grows up and says, I'm Superman, he needs a mental hospital. We can't play into that kind of stuff. But we've gone against this mindset. We've gone with this mind that's the base of reality, a reprobate mind. Okay. All right, let's move on. Conclusions. Thank you for moving me there. It's like, like you need to go to your conclusions. Hurry. Your wife said she probably sent you a text, didn't she? So the, the thing is, does the Bible contradict science? No. God is total truth. He's the author of both. He is the author of all truth. Hence, the Bible, which is the inspired word of God, will never contradict anything that is shown to be really true. There are no contradictions in God or in his word in the Bible. Listen, I love comparative religion. I've studied all the religions I possibly can study. I, I, I can't say I mastered them, but I, I, I've studied them. And trust me, the only true worldview is Christianity that makes any sense. I don't have time to follow something that's not true. But you know what? If something is true, I must follow it. I must follow it. Nothing in our lives should be exempt from his lordship. He's lord of all. There should be no religious sector and secular sector if you're a Christian. Your total life should be identified by him. Everything you do at work, people should know you're a Christian. Has anybody ever said, well, I didn't know you were a Christian? That's scary. Everybody at work should know who you are. Okay? Your dress, your language, your relationships all should be identified by him. You should not have any relationships that's outside of his lordship. You shouldn't talk. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is the good use of edifying that he minister grace unto the ears. Christians shouldn't curse. I hear too many Christians curse. You know, I hear preachers standing up bragging that they're cursing. You need to be ashamed of yourself. You know what? My daughter can say what I say. She can watch what I watch. She can do what I do. If you can't believe that, if you can't do that, and I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not perfect. I got issues, trust me. But that's how we should strive to live. Your kids shouldn't see you one way at church and something different at home. 
Now understand something. Yeah, we all get upset and we yell at our kids sometimes. That's what they're there for. Yell at kids, <laughs> kick the dogs. But I'm just saying they still should know you're a Christian. Okay? No other adjective should define you above being a disciple and servant of Christ. I use that because the term Christian is only used three times in the Bible. But disciple is used over and over and over again. If we are a follower, a learner of discipline of Christ, all right? A mathetes, God expects us to follow him. I once heard some person talking saying, if, if, if Jesus is your master, why haven't you memorized all of his sayings? If you're a disciple of him, are we really disciples of Christ? Or do we want fire insurance? We just want salvation just to do that. I'm going to end with this. Okay? Daniel chapter 2 talks about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he saw this dream, and he, he was a very powerful man. He knew it. And um, God said he even made the animal subject to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And um, he said, I had this dream. And the, you know, the smart guys, the soothsayers and all that said, tell us the dream. We'll give you the, 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 um, the uh, interpretation. He said, uh-uh, uh-uh. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> they, said, they said, nobody has ever done that. Only a god would know your dream. He said, yep, okay, go kill all the magic men and all the people, the you know, the magi, kill them all. So it got to Daniel and his friends, and he said, give us a little time, and let me pray. He prayed, and God gave him the dream and interpretation. Now, this dream is the key to history. It's important to realize that. So Daniel got up. He says, hey, no man can tell you that, but there is a God in heaven. I mean, <laughs> there is a God in heaven who knows the secrets of our hearts, and he is the one who's giving you an interpretation of your dream, O king. He said, you saw a great statue, and there was a head of gold, and there was a chest and arms of silver, and the belly and the thighs were bronze, and then you saw the legs and the feet of iron, and of iron and clay mixed together on the feet. He said, you, O king, are the head, because you're king of kings right now. And he said, another kingdom after you and fury to you, which ended up being medial Persians, would be the chest and arms. Then he said, another after you, Greece, will be the legs. And then after you will come a very fierce kingdom. And it's talked about later on, Rome. And then later on, the toes will be partly clay and partly iron. And they don't mix together because they're partly clay and partly iron. And then you saw a large rock that was cut out without hands and it struck the statue and it all crumbled and a big mountain came up. That rock is the kingdom of God. He said, within the days of those kings, a kingdom will be initiated, set up, that will last forever, and it will grow into a big rock. Now, think about it for a second. Now, me, personally, I believe that we're still part of the Roman Empire. We're Western society. Western society, where the, the, you know, we're part of those toes of clay. This whole Western society, basically, is ruling the world now. It's an empire that went on and on. I'm not going into detail about that now. But the whole thing is, Christ's kingdom is going to destroy the kingdom of man. It's going to destroy human kingdoms, and it's going to set up here. That's what this is all about. 
God created this world knowing that we would fall into sin. And into sin we fell. We rebelled against him. We turned against him. But you know what? He didn't leave us there. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sin so that you can have eternal life. All you have to do is to trust in him. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you hard, not your heart, all you have to do is trust in him. And he will come and live within you and empower you to keep his commandments. The Bible says, Ezekiel chapter 36, that new covenant will come and he'll pour out his spirit upon you, empower you to glorify him. That is what history is all about. And in the end, he's going to come back and he's going to put an end to earthly kingdoms. You can read it in Revelation. And he is going to set up his kingdom after the millennium that will last forever. Are you prepared for that? God's truth is total truth. There is no other way. You can't get to God by going through any other way except for Jesus Christ. You say, what about the people who've never heard of him? You know what? God can do a Cornelius and send somebody to him. God is able. But the whole thing is, you have to believe. Jesus is appearing to Muslims right now. People are saying that Jesus is appearing to them and telling them where to go to find salvation. God loves them more than you do. Let God worry about the heathen, the unreached. You worry about you because you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. And many of you have turned from God because you want to grab on the hold on the sin. You got this person over here that you're honoring above God because you're in a bad relationship. You got this thing over here that you're honoring above God because you got this bad relationship. Why did God rebuke Eli? Eli went to his sons who were priests and said, you know, you're sleeping with the women, you're doing this. Why did he rebuke them? He did rebuke his sons, but he never removed them. And the, and the man of God came to Eli and said, you are honoring your sons above me. Don't honor anything above God. Don't honor anything above God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.